0: This week marks the one year kind of anniversary, not of us launching, because that was in a few months, but like we were in this process of, um, I had to go away and go on this little ordination class, and then we were starting a grand opening team, like to build this up, and we were starting into weekly services last year at this time, and I got really, really sick. If you have a weak stomach, you might not want to look at that picture. It was, it was bad. My kids thought I was going to die, actually. They told my wife that. You can laugh now because I'm kind of healthy. But, but they did actually ask a few times, like, is Dad going to die? Um, now, the point of sharing that is not just because it's a gross picture. But the point is, like, I wasn't able to finish all my work for this particular ordination class. And so there was this one paper that was outstanding. And, um, and so the lady emailed me... From Chicago, and she's like, How are you coming on that paper? A month after the class, and I'm like, I'm gonna die, and so I really can't do this paper. And she's like, Oh, that's too bad. Well, let me know. You know, we have grace. (laughs) So then in January or in July, she like emails back and she's like, Are you still sick? And I emailed back, Actually, I am. And she's like, Well, get that paper in. And so at Christmas, (laughs) I got the paper in. And of course, then I'm acting like Uh, my immature self, and I'm like, I know I turned this in like 10 months late, but can you correct it like in the next little bit? Because i got to turn that paper in so that I can make sure that I don't screw up all this stuff. And she's like, well, you didn't actually take the class for credit, did you? "Uh Uh-huh, I did. And she's like, oh, I'm going to need a doctor's note. I'm going to need someone to plead your case for you. And so now I'm in the process, not this is like, hey, it's time to look at God's word. I'm going to share all my personal stories. Um, But I say that to say, I have to have someone to plead my case for me. And the doctor has some authority and can say, I have pictures, I have times that Rob's come in this time, this time, this time, and this time to plead my case. And, And maybe today you came realizing you need someone other than yourself to plead your case. I need someone to plead my case for credit. We have been in this... Uh, ministry center search process like we really feel like it's time to find a space not just for offices but for us to be able to do ministry and and house ministry and resource stuff throughout the week and it has been brutal like our facilities team calls these corporate uh, real estate agents that i'm sure need jesus too and um and we're like hey we're looking for the space and they're like yeah it's going to be seventeen thousand dollars a month and i made that up um but we're like, we need a lot of space for a little bit of money. And they're like, oh, sorry, can't help you. Oh, sorry, can't help you. So then we think we find one, and, and the guy's like, well, uh, do you have anybody that can plead your case for you? I'm like, well, I do have a guy in Chicago that like, signs off on all this stuff, um, I guess. And he's like, yeah, you're going to need to write up a story or like, convince us why we should do this. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to write a story. I just want someone else to plead my case for me. Now, ironically, just in the last week, God brought someone in that happens to own real estate, and God is pleading our case for us. This person happens to love Jesus, and um, she's like, well, we'll see what we can do. So pray about that, because that's not done. So that's just in the process. Um, A little insider information there. Um, But maybe, like I said, you've been in a situation where you've needed someone to plead your case for you, You've needed someone to come alongside you and to guide you through a process, whether it's because of a class that you need to get credit for or whether it's because you've had some relationship problems. You've had trouble in your marriage and like you're not seeing eye to eye and you're, the two of you are arguing and you need somebody else to come in. Maybe you've been in a situation where as a, as a, as a child or a young adult, you need someone to plead your case with your parents or... You're a parent who needs someone to come alongside and plead your case for your kids. Or you're having friend trouble or roommate trouble, which you really need someone else to come in and come alongside. Wherever you're at today, the Holy Spirit that we started this series last week, that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so as we go to God's Word today, I just, I just want you to ask yourself, you know, God, where is this place that, that I might need help? I know some of us don't like to ask for help, but my guess is there's places in your life where, where you know like you need someone to come alongside, and that's exactly what we see here in the scripture. So if you have your Bible, you're going to want to turn to John 16. Uh, before we do that, if you weren't here last week, we started a series on the Holy Spirit. We talked about who the Holy Spirit is. We talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is breath, is life, is um, wind in the scriptures. He is uh, fire even. And we had some awesome, awesome message notes last week by someone in our congregation. And so the I said the definition of the Holy Spirit, of this advocate that Jesus talks about, is that he is a person, a supernatural person. He's God, in fact, and he stands alongside us in order to offer encouragement and comfort and guidance and help, kind of like a Jedi who comes alongside. And isn't that, like, that is the good, that's a good definition. I'm like, I'm using that. That's awesome. So Jesus said to his followers, I'm going away, but someone like me is going to come and he's going to live with you and will be in you. And so he's in this discourse or this conversation with his disciples on the night that he's going to die. And he talks to them about not being discouraged and not being afraid. He brings up the, the Holy Spirit and then he talks about something else and he brings up the Spirit again. He talks about something else. He brings up the Spirit again. And so this is like the fourth or fifth time that he's bringing up the Holy Spirit where we find it here in John 16. Um, I'm starting in verse 4 if you want to read along with me. And if you need a Bible, you can just go grab one from Carrie in the back. Jesus said to his disciples, I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I have said these things. But truly I tell you that it is for your good that I go away, because if I go, I will send him to you. And unless I go, the advocate will not come. But if I go then i will send him when he comes the advocate the holy spirit he will prove to the world to, he will prove to the world to be in the wrong about sin about righteousness and about judgment about sin because people do not believe in him about righteousness because i am going to the father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world had, now stands condemned I have much more to say to you about these things, more than you can bear. But when when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he has made known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I have said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. That was a lot, so let's pray. Um, God, like we sang and we read scripture and we heard scripture and we talked, um, we acknowledge that you're here, that your spirit is with us. Um, God, that you have the power to guide us through what you intended to say um, through your word then and what you intend to have it say to us now. And so right now, we just ask that we'd be open to understand it, and not only to hear it as information, but to be changed by it. So get our junk out of the way so that we can actually hear and receive and change. For your name and for your glory, amen. Um, You know, the first time I read John 16 here, this is what I thought it said. Jesus is going away, the Spirit's going to come, He's going to tell everyone they're sinners and judge them, and then the people who love him are going to be good. In fact, maybe we should just come and judge them too. Now, I was like this much right. A little right, but not very much right. But in this long kind of narrative here, we find out three things, three big things that the Holy Spirit does. So last week we talked about who he is. Today we look at, what he does. And the first thing that he says is that he, when the Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then he kind of elaborates on all three of those things about sin, because people do not believe in me. Okay, so that's really a big deal. Especially because when we use the word prove to be in the wrong, or maybe your Bible says convict, he will convict the world. Um, This is sometimes a loaded term in our day and age when we think about judgment, convict, righteousness. These are all really um, terms that have been put on people who love Jesus, and sometimes we've used them um, in really ways that Jesus wasn't intending here. So the word convict actually does work because he's trying to make this image of a, a law or a courtroom And so imagine a courtroom and a judge, and then you've got a prosecuting attorney and a defense attorney, and then he's deciding a case, okay? Convict is actually the right word there. But in Jesus' day, there were no prosecuting attorneys and there were no defense attorneys. So what would happen was kind of like the People's Court or Judge Judy, or now there's like 15,000 judge shows. um, Judge Joe Brown, and he has a baseball bat, right? Right? Anyway, one person comes in, in and pleads their case, the other person pleads their case, and then the judge decides. That's how it worked in the day of Jesus, and that's how it worked for hundreds of years. And, and we see this in the Psalms, okay? So Psalm 17, Psalm 26, Psalm 43, if you want to write any of those down for later. But Psalm 17 is a great example of this kind of idea. And in Psalm 17, it says, Hear me, O Lord, my plea is just. Listen to my cry, hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. Let my vindication or my justification come from you. May your eyes see what is right. Okay, here, this psalm writer is pleading to the judge, which is God, to say, here's my case, here's what happened. Now, like, judge them. Which doesn't mean point out they're wrong. Like, we take judge to mean. Judgment, like, Decide what's right. Be the judge. Decide. And I'd like it to be decided in my favor. So all along, God's people have this happen. They have prophets, people who speak for God, and they say, you know what? Like, you need to get in the right. And they plead their case. They use this image of the law in the courtroom. And and the people say, um, we're being bullied. This nation is coming in, whether it's Rome, Egypt, Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, Persia, this happened a lot to the, to the God's people. These people are oppressing us. These people are killing us. These people are taking our land. These people are doing this. God, decide in favor of us. And a lot of times what happened was the Old Testament prophets would say, God can't decide on your favor because he brought this on because you did not follow the one true God these i'm bringing these people in to decide against you because you messed it up and then the people are like oh but then the same prophets would say but a time is coming when i will judge in your favor i will be on your side and that time is when this anointed one this messiah this christ would come and he would say like god is deciding in your favor and God's people are going to be made in the right, and all the evil nations are made in the wrong. That's important because, um, because the Jews, God's people, Jesus was a Jew, thought they were in the right. And what Jesus is saying here is, no, 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 you're actually in the wrong too. And you're in the wrong because you did not believe Jesus was who he said he was. See, we like to think, myself included, that when, when it says that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin or prove the world wrong about sin, we like to think of whatever our favorite sin is of the week, the month, the day, the year, the cultural piece. And we like to go, it's that. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to convict you of that. And if he doesn't, I'll help we kind of do so whatever that you think that sin is in your mind just hold it there for a second that's not what it's saying he's saying the sin here is that people don't know who i am the people that are supposed to be bringing the hope of the world the people that are supposed to be filling, fulfilling this call of Abraham thousands of years ago, that, that I will bless you, Abraham, you will be this family that will be chosen by me, that you will bless the world, that all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. Big deal. You're not doing it. In fact, you're not even believing the one who sent. And, and he says in like, 16 verse 1 or 2 or 3, he says, in fact, a time's coming when they're going to kick you out of the synagogues and they're going to try and kill you and they're going to kill me and they're going to do it in, the name of, in God's name. So when he says the world, oftentimes we think all those bad people that don't love God. But actually, he's talking about these people who do love God who have just missed it a little bit in a big way, in the Jesus way. So the audience who's reading this for the first time, the intended audience, if you will, the ones who are, that John's writing to in the first place, like inspired by God, to write, they're getting kicked out of the synagogue. Okay, Basically, these people who love Jesus, there's a point to this, I promise, it's not just a history lesson. <laughs> there are people who love Jesus for the first 20 or 30 years that are Jews. Jesus was a Jew, he came to save the Jews and ultimately the world. So everybody practiced the Jewish stuff and believed in Jesus for 20 or 30 years. Okay? All of a sudden, these people who are going to synagogue on Saturday and then Sunday Christian worship and then living by the power of the Spirit, they're changing, they're growing, they are being peaceful and joy-filled and generous and everybody's like, wow, what do they have? But they're not saying that about the Jews. Because the Jews are just kind of practicing their religious faith. They're not being super generous. They're not being super joy-filled. Like, people aren't flocking to the synagogue. And they can't rely on the temple, because the temple was already destroyed. So that part of the Jewish faith is like, whoosh, gone, gone. So all they have to rely on is this synagogue idea. And the whole point of that is that, that John's audience is, ha- ha- is facing this dilemma. Choose. You can't do synagogue and Christian worship. So either like be a Jew or love Jesus. But you can't do both anymore. And so that's why he's writing this stuff about um, they're going to put you out of the synagogue in fact, the time is coming when anyone kills you who think, thinks they were offering a sacrifice, they will do these things because they have not known me or my Father. So what he's trying to tell them is, you know what? Like, the Spirit's going to come, and the Spirit's going to say, you're in the right, and convict them of their sin. Prove them wrong about this idea that I am who I say am. So when they kick you out of the Jewish fellowship, it's okay because I'm not there. Now, fast forward to today. What's the point? At least in this little section. Um, the point is, sometimes I think we've been in churches where it's like, is God here? Are these people being peaceful or joyful or generous or loving or welcoming or, gosh, I just don't see the Spirit here. You've got to talk to God about that one. And then you've got to look at your own life and, and say, Holy Spirit, Am I contributing to that? Like, am I asking you to be here and change me? The other thing is, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict people of their sin, not our job. So, now sometimes, the Holy Spirit will have a moment where, like, God is inviting you to speak into somebody's life, like, unhealthy behavior, like, not following God, Um, not trusting in Jesus, not living by the power of the Holy Spirit. But most of the time that happens, number one, you have a relationship with them, and number two, they're already asking the questions about wanting the Holy Spirit in their life. So this is not pick your favorite sin and go point fingers at people. That's not what it's saying here. It's saying, like, I'm coming into the world to convict sin because people aren't believing in me. He goes on to say, I'm coming to prove the world to be wrong about righteousness, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer see me. So again, this righteousness word is loaded because we think self-righteous, and we look at people in our lives who are self-righteous, and we say, don't want to be like that. But this is actually more of a, a law courtroom term too, so Righteousness is talking about vindication, it's talking about being just, it's talking about in that courtroom that we're not up on the stand, but the Holy Spirit not only acts as our defense attorney, if you can picture that, the Holy Spirit also acts as the prosecuting attorney, in a way, God's the judge, and they're putting Jesus up on the witness stand, and when they put Jesus up on the witness stand, these are the people, remember, the world is the Jews, so these are the people that are saying, Jesus is, an, is a liar. Jesus is a deceiver. Jesus um, is a blasphemer. Jesus is this person who um, claims to be God, and he obviously isn't. And so through all that, through Jesus' death and resurrection, and through the fact that he goes to the Father, he is then Justified. He has proved to the world that he is who he said he is. That's what this idea of righteousness is talking about. And so his followers are then vindicated or justified because they associate themselves with Jesus. So he proves the world to be wrong about sin and he proves the world to be wrong about righteousness. But what it means is that Jesus has to do that. So again, we don't have to. When someone does not believe in Jesus, we don't have to go, well, you know, here's 18 reasons why you should. The Holy Spirit's job is to do that. Now, sometimes we have to play a part in that, but for the most part, that's what he's doing. Lastly, on this point, he proves the world to be in the wrong about judgment because the prince of the world has already stand condemned. Now, again, this judgment, we have to remember, like, the story that John, the writer here, is telling is a story where, in just a few hours, Jesus, who's saying, don't worry, don't be afraid, is going to be almost kidnapped, <laughs> led through a fake trial, falsely convicted, carried a cross, nailed on a cross, hung on a tree, dies. The Jews and the Romans that are in power are throwing everything they can at Jesus, which in the end, right, is death. I was thinking about it. I had some weird dreams last night. I almost died. My car flipped over and a snow um, plow got stuck and flipped over on my car and destroyed it and I snuck out. I'm like, whoa, that was weird. But then I woke up and I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. This is what's, when you get a random pastor... The point was, and still is, I think, like I woke up and went, I guess the worst part of that is I would have died. Like I think the worst, the strongest thing that anyone can throw at us is death. And yet, what he's saying here is, don't worry about this judgment because because I conquered death. In the midst of the resurrection, not only was death defeated, but the evil was defeated, and the evil one was defeated, and he was defeated, and he was defeated, He was condemned and he wiped it out. Why else, when you read this story, do the the followers of Jesus, these Jewish men and and several women, why else do they go from being scared, fearful that that he is going away, to all of a sudden we read in, in the book of Acts, they are bold, they are fearless. I mean, death is being threatened to them, and they're like, I don't care. Bring it on. I mean, not arrogantly, but they just know that, that Jesus has defeated death. And so if we're with Jesus, we've defeated death too. So he is proving the world wrong about this judgment. So they are excited. They are, they are understanding that the Holy Spirit is doing something that they can't do. And probably what you're thinking now is like verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. (laughs) But he also says that when the Holy Spirit comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you into the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. Like the spirit of God speaks to us, not just then, not, not just when it was written, but today. He interacts with us. He's involved with us. It says that he indwells with us, meaning he is with us and he's in us. I mean, do you see why it's okay when, when Jesus says the temple's gonna be destroyed? It's fine. And how, um, how then the people scatter and it's okay and how like we can be in this building that's not a church and, and we can have church. The Holy Spirit is present because he is in us. And when we leave here and go into our week, the spirit and the church goes out and goes with us, it's because the Holy Spirit is not contained in one place, in one temple. It's he has been given to everyone. He empowers us, it says in the scriptures. It says that he chooses gifts for us in 1 Corinthians. It says he speaks to us when we're in situations that we don't know what to do. He comes alongside and calls out to us. It says that he's a counselor who teaches us. He's a counselor who reminds us. He's a counselor who guides us. He's a counselor who sometimes has to correct us. Romans, the book of Romans says that that the Spirit gives us freedom to actually put sin to death, like to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, to, to walk in a way that, that um, one of my friends, um, her name's Judy, she's coming in a couple weeks to kind of practically share, share with us how we can live this out. She's like, you know, I've finally gotten to the point where I can look at, with, at the evil one, at Satan, and when he comes into my life, I can go like this. And I'm like, really? Maybe someday I'll be there too. Um, and, and this book of Romans says we can live by the freedom and the power in Christ where, where we can put sin to death. Which should give us hope, but it says that the Holy Spirit gives us hope too. And finally, in Romans, it says the Holy Spirit makes us more and more and more like Jesus. And he comforts us and he leads us into this truth. So when you're not sure about your faith and you're not sure what you're doing and where you're going and and how the Bible makes sense and you have questions and you have doubts, it's okay. Like, First of all, this is an okay place to say, I have questions, I have doubts, I don't believe that. We'll take it because God is the God who is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. So even if we are not quite on the right path, He'll guide us there. He'll get us there. That's not saying every way leads to God. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying that He'll figure out a way to lead us to the truth the last thing that the Holy Spirit does. And this is really important because a lot of people talk about the Spirit these days. Um, A lot of people talk about gifts these days. So this last one is really important. It's found in the last couple verses we looked at and read, John 14 and 15. And it says that the Spirit glorifies Jesus. He says, and he will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. His job, and this is probably why we minimize the Holy Spirit because he doesn't draw attention to himself. He puts his attention back on Jesus. Now, I don't know if you have friends or people that you look to that do this really well. But think about the, um, the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl with, with Tim Tebow, and as he got more and more in the spotlight, how there was this pressure. They really wanted to see if he was going to continue to glorify Jesus or if he was going to draw attention to himself. And then news people and commentators and talk show hosts, when they interview people, they say things like, you're so gifted. You know, you have such a great gift. And then these people go on and on to talk about themselves. Not everybody, but sometimes. And this is kind of the key. This is to check. If it's truly a gift from God, then it's not about me. And it's not about you. It's this opportunity to glorify God. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's how, again, in the story of Acts, how the followers of Jesus go out That's how they're able to tell if someone has the Holy Spirit or just some other spirit. Are they giving praise, glory, and honor to Jesus Christ because that's what it means to glorify him. Now you might have more and more questions about the Holy Spirit. That's okay. Um, We're going to take the next couple weeks to continue to go through those. And today might have felt highly informational. But I have a couple things to say about that. Uh, First... We don't want to fully understand God. We want to try and understand God. But if we fully understand him, I think he fails to be God. So our point in, in learning about the Holy Spirit is to worship the Holy Spirit as God. Second, information is an opportunity for transformation. And when we read the Bible, that's what God is inviting us to He's inviting us to be changed, to be transformed. And he does that in these verses by proving the world is wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He does that by guiding us to the truth. He does that by glorifying Jesus. And so if you're in a place, like I said, where where it felt either a lot like learning or where you have a lot of questions, it's okay, number one. Number two, Tim drank he and I have met for a number of years and he, he just walked me through some passages that, that have really, truly changed my understanding of the Holy Spirit and how I can choose to trust the Holy Spirit every day of my life and it has changed my relationship with God. I am so excited that next week he's going to come and share that with you. And we're going to spend a few more weeks talking about what it means to take this information and to have it be transforming in our lives. But I think the key question is, where have you seen the Holy Spirit doing things in your life? Where have you seen the Holy Spirit doing things in your life? Maybe it was just bringing you here. We don't, we don't think we're doing a lot right. We don't really think we're special, but we think that God is on the move here. That he's taking people that are ordinary and changing them into Holy Spirit, Christ-centered followers of Jesus that will transform way beyond here. And if you were brought here, I think it's the Holy Spirit at work. So just talk to them about it. Look at your family. Look at the people around you. Look at your job. Is there, is there things that God's doing that maybe you've been going so fast you haven't noticed? If you see them, I invite you to praise God for them. If you don't see those things, ask why. We won't ask you why, because we're not going to judge you. But ask why. And, and I think the key is, and this one's like where it really gets down to, do you want the Holy Spirit? Do you really want Really truly want the Holy Spirit to transform your life, to guide your life, to control your life, to change your life. And if you if you do want that, it is awesome and it will mess you up. Mess you up. Mess you up, up, right? But when you say yes, it is beautiful. Now I love the Chronicles of Narnia series and and I thought they were just great books until I started reading them to my kids. And as soon as I started reading them out loud, it just gave me this whole new appreciation. And there's this one scene in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which I'm pretty sure is my oldest daughter's favorite. But there's one scene in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader where Eustace Clarence Scrub, this, this kid who's just a turd. I mean, he really is. Um, I thought about what's the best way to describe him, and I'm like, yep, I'm going to go with turd. Uh, I mean, his, he is his name. It's just this awful, like Eustace, Clarence Scrub, and he's, he's just a mean, snotty, selfish kid, and he becomes in the story who he is, and he becomes this dragon, and everyone hates him, nobody likes him, thinks he's going to go eat worms, and he, he is just in this awful, awful place where he finds out as a dragon he's completely lonely, everybody's afraid of him, well, his personality has done that, his selfishness has done that, has just alienated him into this place of complete ugliness. And he meets the Jesus character whose name is Aslan, who's a lion, and he says, You know, you got to get this off of you. You've got to get the skin off of you if you want to change. And so he starts scratching at his dragon flesh. And as he comes out of it, he peels out of it like a snake. And he goes, oh, there. And he looks down and he's still got it. And he scratches through and scratches through and scratches through. And he's still got it. And, he scratch- and this goes on over and over, layer after layer of ugliness and dragonness is like getting peeled off of him. And finally he goes, I can't do it. I just can't get it off. Aslan, the Jesus character, lovingly says, you're right. You can't. I can. And if you've been in a place where you've tried church or you've tried to ask the Holy Spirit to be in your life and it hasn't done anything, maybe it's been more of you and not enough of Jesus, not enough of the Holy Spirit. And, And when When Aslan peels that skin off, he becomes his true self again, so much so that the characters don't even recognize him. And they walk up to him, and they say, Eustace, did it hurt? And he says, yeah, it did. But it was a good hurt. And I invite you, during this Holy Spirit series, to not look at it as something that's going to hurt but something that might be painful but it'll be a good hurt. And the spirit comes when we trust him, he brings us to places that we don't want to go sometimes and places where we don't want to trust sometimes and and that's why this word the comforter totally works cuz it's in that place we don't want to go where the comforter shows up. It's not in like making us safe and comfortable. But when we go to those places of selfishness or pride or fear or just places we don't want to go, then the Comforter shows up and transforms our lives. And that, friends, is what the Holy Spirit does. So as the band comes up and and closes us with a couple songs, ask yourself, do I really want him? God, where do I see you in my life? Where do I see these things happening in my life? Feel free to move, feel free to kneel. Um, feel free to just reflect and worship and saying, God, um, what is it that you want? how How can I live for you? Let's pray. God, in your spirit, you have and are making us like Jesus. Some of us are very early on in the journey. Others of us are finding out that you're calling us to trust you in new ways, ways that seem harder than before, ways that we've looked at and said, we want to grow, but we didn't think it would be this hard. So God, I pray that as we sing these songs and, and, and talk to you, that we'd hear from you. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that we pray. Amen.